how great it was to worship God this morning? Do you believe that he can cause breakthrough? Do you believe that he can transform lives? My name is Pastor Kurt. For those of you that have not met me, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. You know, we've been talking through our vision series. And one of the most exciting things that I like as we're talking through this is that, you know what? If we don't have a vision or we don't have a purpose in our lives, we wander aimlessly. We, we don't end up going towards the direction, perhaps, that God wants us to go. And that's why I love talking about vision here at Bridgewater, because our vision is to see more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That's what we want to see happen. And, and I, 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 so I love to talk about it. And this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, found people find people. And this really excites me. So I, but I wanted to share a little story with you to begin with. Um, I have a question. How many of you have ever lost something? All right. We've all lost something, right? Um, if you've lost something, it could be just about anything, right? Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's your keys or your purse. Um, or maybe it's even that elusive sock, right? I think sometimes the washing machine eats those socks. That drives me nuts when I can't find it, right? So when you lose something and you're frantically looking for it, what kind of things go through your head? You're like, oh, well, where did I leave that? I know I put that over there then, but then where, it is, where is it now? And then sometimes you get, depending on how much you need it, you get so desperate to the point where you're like, okay, all right. Okay, God. <laughs> God, please help me find my wallet. And then, then it gets to a point, maybe, where it goes to bargaining. And you're like, okay, God. I promise I will go to church the next four weeks if you let me find my wallet. Please help me. So depending on what you're looking for and how much value it is to you, could be how desperate you are in you're trying to find it. So I have a story of, uh, it was my first day uh, working as campus pastor here at Bridgewater, and it was Monday, April 11th. And I was set to have a whole slate of meetings in the Montrose office up, up in Montrose. And I, I, I go outside and I go to get in my truck and my son's car is parked behind me. And if you know my driveway, there's no possible way that you're going to get out if, if you're blocked in. All right. I could not get out. So I come back in. I'm like, Elijah, I can't get out. I, I, your car is behind me. And then Elijah begins to look for his keys. And Elijah's looking around, I can't find my keys. So then the whole family is running all over the place trying to find Elijah's keys because I can't get out. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, in those type of situations, it sort of seems like an eternity. Um, it was really probably only 10 minutes, right? So frantically searching for these keys. And I'm like, Elijah, you're, you're sure they're not in your room, right? Oh, no, they're not in my room. We continue to look. We look outside. We look everywhere. And then Elijah emerges out of his room. I found my keys. I'm like, yes. 
So we found the keys and we rejoiced. All right. And I made it there and I wasn't too late. A little bit late, not too late. But the reality is, is depending on how much we value something depends on how much we look to find it. And as I think about that, how, how much do we look to find those who are lost? How passionate are we to desperately pursue those who are lost because they need the hope of Jesus Christ? We're going to be going into the book of Acts again in Acts chapter 4 today. And in Acts 4, some of the context that you learned last week was that 5,000 men got saved, which doesn't include women and children, so a whole lot more than 5,000 people got saved. And while all this was happening, the religious leaders were becoming jealous and upset, and they challenged Peter and John about under what authority that they are doing the things that they are doing. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. Our first point here is to invest in people far from God. And this is what Peter is doing here, beginning in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed. You see, in Acts chapter 3, a little bit earlier, Peter and John, they had shared, they, they were coming into the temple courts and there was a beggar that was there. He was brought there each day, he could not walk. And as he was there, Peter and John were walking by, and they said to him, look at us. And the man thought he was going to give them money. And Peter said, no we, no, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have is I'm going to ask that you stand and walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the lame man stood, and he walked. And this infuriated the religious leaders. So things that were happening, lame men were standing and walking, um, they were forgiving sins, and they were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They chose to invest in someone that was far from God. They chose to do that. Now, for us... Investing in someone who's far from God may not be healing a lame man. That would be news to me if I saw that here this morning. But it may be coming alongside someone, having an encouraging conversation with them, showing them the love of Jesus. Because the reality is, there is no one that's too far from God. God can save anyone And he will. So we want to invite people that are, invest in people that are far from God, and we want to invite them, we want to invite people to come to God. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which became the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. So here, the point, the whole point of this is saying the authority by which we are doing this is by Jesus. Peter's saying, you're attacking me, but in reality, you're attacking God. Because this is the work of God that's happening here. He's not saying it's all about him. He's saying it's all about God. And he's pointing out there in that verse, at that verse 12, that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way except through Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this. Says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to encourage each and every one here as you share your story with people, remember what the scripture says. Remember what the Bible says is that Jesus is the only way. That there is no other way. That is what the scriptures are very clear on. And as you're encouraged, we're all encouraged with that core value of found people, find people, right? We're all encouraged to do that. But um, you might say, well, wait a second. Like, I'm just an ordinary person. Like, how could God use just an ordinary person? Well, let's take a look at Acts chapter 4, the next verse, in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John were turning the world upside down for Jesus. They're seeing many people come to know Jesus. And it says they were ordinary, unschooled men that were doing this because it was in the power of God. You know, the other day I had somebody that said something to me and they, they said, now listen, I don't want to offend you, but I think that you're easy to connect with because you're just an ordinary person. And I think this individual thought I would be offended by this, but I actually rejoiced in this because you know what? God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary people to accomplish his purposes for his glory. I don't want anybody seeing me as more than what I am as an ordinary person. I'm just obeying what God wants me to do. And whatever God wants you to do, don't shy back because you think, well, I'm not worthy to do it because God can and will use you. This past week, uh, we sent a survey around. And in this survey, to sort of get a measure for everyone's confidence level as it comes, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. Um, so I have the results here. So some of you may, it 
may have done it, may have not, but the results are here nonetheless. This is for our Tunkhannock campus. So the first one here is, how confident are you that you could share the gospel in a clear and logical manner? Okay, how confident that, you know, that you could do it in a clear and logical manner that it makes sense? Uh, 37% said very confident. 26% said confident. 33% slightly confident. And then 4% were not confident. So as we go through, we're going to go through each one of these questions. But as we go through each one, the goal here is that hopefully today is that confidence level would be higher when you leave today than it was when you walked in. Let's look at the next one. How confident are you that you could share how you became a follower of Jesus in two to five minutes? This one might, this might, might be a little more challenging, right? So 44% were very confident. Uh, 30% were confident. 22% slightly confident. And then 4% were not confident. Now, why in the world would we ask that question? Two to five minutes. You don't know how much time you're going to have to interact with someone at any point in time. It could only be two to five minutes that you have. And are you ready to share the hope that is in you in that time? That's maybe what they need in that moment. That God has put you in that person's life to share in that two to five minute frame. The next one. How confident are you that you could lead someone in prayer to accept Jesus as their savior? 52%. 52% were very confident. Yeah, I can do this. 26% 26% were confident, 15 slightly confident, and then 7% were not confident. And again, we want to encourage that to be higher and higher as we share um, Christ with people. And the next question, the other ones would definitely be related to because then it, it, it asks the question, in the past year, I shared my faith with an unsaved person. So 48% said that they did it quarterly, 26% said they did it monthly, Uh, 19% said once, 4% said uh, never, and 4% said every week, all right? So with all that in mind, what are the factors, what are one of the main factors that come into play? Part of it might be knowing what to say, which we're going to help you with today, but another factor might be this. And this was addressed on the survey too. My greatest fears about talking to others about Jesus are. And the number one that I've seen like forever, but was also true on this survey, was fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. We all have a a need to feel accepted by other people. We all essentially have that, whether we admit it or not, we have that need to feel accepted by people. And so rejection being on the top there is important. Like that's a fear. Oh, they're going to reject me. Another thing was like that the relationship would be harmed. The person's not going to talk to me anymore. Those are some of the concerns. Another one that was a fear is like, I don't know if I'm going to have the, the, the right words to say, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer a question that they have. Well, I'm going to let you off the hook with that one because I'm going to admit that people have asked me questions before that I've not known the answer to, okay? Where I've said, I don't know. It's okay to tell someone, I don't know. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to look that up because I don't know. And you know what? People respect that. So it's okay if you don't know all the answers. So those are some of the fears 
um, about talking about Jesus with others. And so what I'm going to do this, this morning is share with you a combination of two different gospel pre presentations sort of put into one. Um, some of you may have heard of what's called the Romans Road, where you, some, you take someone through the book of Romans and you show them the plan of salvation. The other one is called the Bridge Illustration. And so what I've done is I've combined, sort of combined them both in this, and I want you to be able to see, all right, this is the gospel, pure and simple. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start here with man and God, all right? We are created in God's image. He desires an intimate relationship with us. He knows us so well. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions of our heart. He knows every single thing about us, and yet he loves us, and he desires a relationship with us. He also values us tremendously. There's a great value that he has that he's placed on, on each one of us, and he desires that relationship with us, and part of that value has to do with how he sees us. So I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 12, which is talking about, in the context, it's talking about worry. All right. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. So God, God doesn't even forget the birds, right? And then verse 7 says, Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And you know, Sometimes you ever just, you read a verse in the Bible and you're just like taken back and you're like, wait, what? Like, he knows every hair on my head? How many of you know every hair on your head? Like how many hairs you have on your head? Anybody? <laughs> um, yeah, so like he knows every hair. So I thought about this. I'm like, okay, well, I got to do a little bit of research here. I got to try and understand, like, all right, how many hairs are on people's heads here? Because God knows them, so, and even if it changes every day, if one gets plucked out, he knows, well, now you have this many. All right, so, the first one is, overall, there's an average of 80 to 100,000 hairs on the average person's head. 80 to 100,000 hairs. So I looked at that, and then I was like, and then, then looked at a breakdown. So we're, we're going to break it down, right, depending on hair color. Ready? So blondes. Blondes have an estimated 150,000 hairs on their head. 150,000, all right? Um, then brown hair. Brown hair have about 110,000 hairs on their head. I just looked at the information. I, I don't know. Um, then black hair, 100,000 hairs on your head. It keeps going down, right? And then finally, we have red hair. So I'm sorry, redheads. 90,000 hairs on the estimated average on a, for a redhead. <clears throat> now, and as I thought about this, I'm like, well, wait. They said the, the, net, the average is 80,000 to 100,000. Well, if you look at those numbers... That's, that's not the average you come up with. So there must be a problem here. There must be those that have significantly less hair that skew this, right? All right? So I thought about this, and I'm like, hmm. So I thought, oh, 
how about me? I think I might skew this number a little bit. So I thought of my number. And so I went ahead and I put my number in there. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I have four. I mean, I shaved my head this morning, so I had more yesterday. All right. So I figured I probably missed a few. So I probably have four hairs on my head. All right. But the reality is God knows that from day to day. He knows how many hairs are on our head. Isn't that amazing? Um, and, and, and he desires that close, intimate relationship with us. That is his desire. But you know what? With that, there's a problem. There's a problem, and that problem is called sin. You see, sin causes this separation from God. God desires that closeness with us, and yet sin separates us from God. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just some, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Causes that gap so that we cannot have a relationship with him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? A wage is something we earn. We go to work, we earn a paycheck, we get paid every week or every two weeks, right? That is your wage. By working, you earned that particular wage. So saying the wages, what we earn by our sin is death. And in the Bible, when it's ever talking about death, it's talking about separation. Spiritual separation, physical separation, or eternal separation. All right? The wages of sin is death. That means separation from God. So that sounds pretty hopeless, right? I mean, there's oftentimes uh, people will think, well, if I only do good enough, if I only attend church enough, or if I'm only religious enough, or I give enough money to the church, then maybe I'll be able to get to God. But I'm telling you, that gap is so big it's so large, it's like trying to cross over the Grand Canyon. If you were to run and jump and try and cross over the Grand Canyon by jumping, that's about how far you'd get when it comes to attempting on your own to get to God. So that sounds hopeless, right? But, and I love the first two words of this next scripture, but God when it was hopeless, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for that sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. He died and suffered to bring you to God, to bring those whom you're talking to, to God. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it talks about that we need to repent. We need to turn from our sins. In Acts 16, it talks about the fact that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. 
Romans 10, 13 says this, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just some, whoever, no matter how far from God they are, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 5, 24 says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. So in order to be saved, you hear that all the time here. We talk about it almost every Sunday. You need to admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and paid that penalty. There was nothing you could do. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you confess him as Lord of your life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where we can then be moved from being separated from God to then having intimate fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is awesome. That is why we are here, because Jesus did that for us. And, you know, sometimes people have said to me, well, wait a second. How can you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Like, what's with that? That's, that's a lot of pride. And I, and, I, and, I, and I say to them, well, no. If it had to do with me, I'd be going to hell, because what I've earned is death. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he paid that penalty. So because of what he did, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven because he did the work and not me. It's simply like a beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And for me, it's like a sinner showing another sinner where to find food eternal life. I want to encourage you this morning. The message is found people, find people. And God can use each and every one in here that knows Jesus to find other people that don't know Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have not made that decision, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not sure I encourage you to come talk to me after. Let's have a conversation about it. It's the most important decision you can ever make. And if you're like, uh, I'm not really sure I want to talk to you um, after, uh, we, we now have a, a prayer team here at um, Bridgewater. And if you go out these doors on the left-hand side, um, there are... Uh, prayer things that you can fill out. I'll show you what it looks like, like this. And you can fill that out, and I encourage you that if you are not sure, that you could write in there and ask for a team to pray for you. You could have other prayer requests as well, and that's what they're there for, is to pray for you. So that's in a box out there on my left. Looks like a... Um, like a birdhouse box is really neat. Um, so I encourage you to go ahead and to, to do that. And for each one here, we're going to be moving to three services next week. 
And then we're going to be having our open house in two weeks. So one of the greatest ways that you can apply what we've talked about today is to take this card and to hand it to somebody and invite them to come. I love doing it. You know, sometimes, I, sometimes I'd be like, oh, well, people are going to get mad at me for inviting them to church. I tell you what, sometimes people light up. Oh, thank you so much. That's so, you know, nice that you did that, right? So I encourage you to invite them to come in a couple weeks to hear the gospel. And I encourage you to have gospel conversations with people and to love on them so that we can continue to see more and better disciples of Jesus Christ and continue to love on our community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for how much you love us and care for us. God, you are so good. You have blessed us in so many ways. And I pray, God, that you would give us opportunities to lead other people to Jesus. And that uh, you would continue to transform lives here at Bridgewater. And thank you, God, that you love us so much and you give us this opportunity. May we serve you because this is your church. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.